Welcome to Good Faith Stories from Good Faith Media. I'm Starlet Thomas, your host for our third episode. In each episode of Good Faith Stories, we bring you several stories tied to a theme, unique and true stories as told by the people who live them. Each story is short, just a few minutes long, and accompanied by music. You might laugh, cry, get angry, remember, but we hope you'll think a lot and feel even more about what it means to be human. Our storytellers are people of faith. Good faith, we'd say. But on Good Faith Stories, you won't hear testimonies or sermons. No, you're going to hear stories. Real people telling you, this happened to me. In this episode, we're going to share some stories about words. Words that escaped us, that came to us, that hurt us. Words we shared, words we didn't want to share. Words. Our first story in this episode comes from Zach Dawes Jr., who was not only at a funeral, but was conducting a funeral. And there was a big problem. Zach tells Shakespeare. I don't really have anything good to say. That comment, voiced by the relative of a man whose funeral I was to conduct a few days later, was not a complete surprise. The deceased was technically still on the church roll, but he'd moved out of state years ago. I'd conducted enough funerals at that point that I was familiar with the process and approach. Most had been for church members I'd known, even if briefly, but on a few occasions it was for someone I'd never met. For those who've never conducted a funeral, it's not as complicated as it seems even when you don't know the person, provided you're willing to take the time to reach out to family and to friends not only to offer comfort, but also to listen. So I would arrange a time to visit the family, in person preferably, but on the phone if nothing else. And I'd also reach out to friends and ask them to share any insights, memories, or words that describe the person. The truth is, a little effort goes a long way. On this occasion, I began by calling a few older church members. Most who remembered the deceased man offered only general information, with a few of the more forthright essentially saying, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but... So, I had a sense of how my call with one of the relatives might go. After the customary introduction and condolences, I explained that I was calling to see if they would share stories 
fond memories, or descriptive words about their loved one. There was a pause. Then I heard, I don't really have anything good to say. So what do you say at a funeral for someone whose friends and family don't have anything good to say? That question hung in the air as I sat at my computer to craft a message. The day of the funeral arrived, a gravesite-only service. I walked to the small podium, welcomed everyone, voiced a short prayer, and then... I shared the typical information about where he was born, when he died, and who he was survived by. So far, so good. This is expected, of course, and it also padded the length of the message since there wasn't much to work with. At this point in other funerals, I'd share a combination of heartwarming and humorous stories or anecdotes that family and friends had told me. But remember what I've received. I don't really have anything good to say, and I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but... So what do you say? Not much about the person, ironically. Whether you think this odd or improper, you can't say anything bad. It's their funeral, after all. But you really can't say anything good, either. Too many sitting in front of you would know it isn't true. What do you say? If you've ever been to a funeral, well, you know the drill. You touch on the platitudes we've come to expect from ministers at such times. Faith, hope, and love. Resurrection and renewal. And you pray that the way you've repackaged these well-worn themes keeps you from sounding like your message came straight from a Hallmark card. What do you say? In my case, on that day, I said the words of Edgar from Shakespeare's King Lear. The weight of this sad time we must obey. Speak what we feel, not what we ought to say. shared this quotation and, because it was a Christian funeral, pointed out a few connections I saw in the Bible where readers are encouraged to be painfully, transparently honest about their experiences and feelings. On that day, that's what I said. I shared the invitation of Shakespeare to honesty. Speak what you feel, not what you ought to say. That's what I said, and I hoped it was enough. was Zach Dawes Jr., Managing Editor for News and Opinion here at Good Faith Media. He holds a Master of Divinity degree from Truett Seminary at Baylor and served local churches for four years prior to coming on staff at Good Faith Media. Our next story comes from Chastity Gunn, who lives just outside Chicago. Now, an important word to our listeners. This story uses a racial slur several times. It's heartbreaking, disturbing, and critical to Chastity's story, which is one about access to hate and the power of allyship. 
We advise listener discretion as she tells, no one wakes up. I remember the first time I was called a nigger. It was a summer night and I was downtown with two friends, Reggie and Devon. We were all college students and we were taking a much needed break from studying to enjoy the city life of Nashville. We were talking and laughing and enjoying each other's company when a party bus drove down the street. We could see young white people having what appeared to be a good time. Then, out of the window, one of them yelled, NIGGERS! stopped in our tracks, ready to fight, ready to scream, ready to weep. Although I have forgotten their faces, their words linger in my ears. I grew up in rural Alabama where Confederate flags were as common as dandelions. But no one had ever called me a nigger, at least not to my face. Fast forward to early 2021, and I'm leading a public lecture on African-American poetry via Zoom. I have shared my screen with participants, and I'm about to play a video of Felicia Richard reading Lift Every Voice by James Weldon Johnson. I noticed that a black swastika has been drawn on her forehead and I almost don't register it as real life. I hear the voice of my friend Paul commanding the behavior to stop. In a split second, I have lost control and the whiteboard feature of Zoom is now displaying racial slurs. The one I remember clearly is nigger. Participants in the room begin verbally condemning the behavior, telling whomever it is that their behavior is not okay and they need to stop. Then we hear voices, it sounds like young voices, teenage voices, who begin to provoke, pester, and mock the group. I use Zoom for work, so I'm not unfamiliar with the platform. I calmly but desperately try to find out how to take back control and kick out the participants who spew racist and anti-Semitic speech. But the intruders have hacked the space and taken over hosting control. They give themselves fake names. One even used my name. I'm not sure how long the ordeal lasted, but we eventually ended the meeting and tried again, this time without intrusion. As the events unfolded, I was not completely shocked and surprised about the racial slurs, but I was shocked at how I was unable to stop or mitigate the situation. As a black American, I know the reality of racism and prejudice. It's not something that is confined to history books and black and white films. It is my lived everyday experience, even today. Two things about this hack stand out to me. First, I saw the power of the bystander. 
While I was trying to figure out how to stop the hackers, I could hear many of the legitimate participants vocalizing that the behavior was not okay. They addressed the hackers and told them they needed to leave. I appreciated the participants using their voices to say hate speech is not tolerated. It was encouraging to see people of all shades speak out against injustices. Second, it was clear that this was a group of teenagers and that this was a coordinated effort. One of the hackers even turned her camera on. Not all races are older people. Some of them have pimples and are planning for prom. Some of them are planning for college. It's time to deconstruct this false narrative that only old people are racist. No one wakes up a racist. You are groomed, you are trained, and you are taught to be one. That was Chastity Gunn, the inaugural poet laureate of Elgin, Illinois, where she is an instructor of English at Elgin Community College. She is also the author of How to Create a World. Learn more at chastitywrites.com. I'm Starlet Thomas. We'll be right back with more Good Faith Stories. This is Mitch Randall, CEO of Good Faith Media. If you like compelling and authentic stories, real stories that are both intriguing and complex, consider making a donation at goodfaithmedia.org. At Good Faith Media, there's always more to tell. Welcome back to Good Faith Stories from Good Faith Media. I'm Starlet Thomas, your host for this episode. Today, we're hearing stories about words, True stories told by the people who live them. Words, how they come to us at certain moments, what they do, the power they hold. Words. Our final story, this one lighthearted, comes from Chris George. Set against the backdrop of both the pandemic and a wedding, he tells Rings. It was a December weekend wedding for the granddaughter of a church member. COVID moved the wedding from a warm sanctuary to a cold front porch setting. Outdoor weddings are wonderful, in theory, but always a little unpredictable. I was praying there would not be wind, or rain, or ice, or snow. I was worried about the weather but it was actually a completely different issue that threatened to spoil the wedding ceremony. The sun was shining. It was an unexpectedly warm winter's afternoon. The wedding party knew the parts. The groomsman, the groom, and I opened the front door and stood before the guest. One by one, Bridesmaids marched down the aisle, smiling and carrying their bouquets. The flower girls spread their petals. The ring bearers entered, wearing sunglasses and carrying briefcases. Finally, the familiar music started. The people stood, 
the bride and her father walked forward to stand in front of me. I welcomed everyone and prayed. The father exited. I read the scriptures. And then I started my remarks by saying, no one will remember what I say here today. No one came to hear me preach. Everyone is here because they love you. I know my part on these occasions. Soon we were repeating the vows. I do, and you do, and we do, now and forever. Then something unexpected happened. In 21 years as a minister, it has never happened to me before. We came to the moment. I asked the question, it is perfunctory, really. Everybody already knows the answer. It's just a part of the ceremony. Are there rings to be exchanged? There was silence. Heads turning. Everyone waiting for someone to answer the question. The bride looked at the groom. The groom looked at the best man. The bride looked at the maid of honor. Everyone turned and looked at me. No one knew what to say, including me. The only one to speak was a little ring bearer, maybe five years old, he yelled out, I don't have them, and it's not my fault. We stood there, waiting. For what was probably 60 seconds, but felt more like 15 minutes, then something blessed and beautiful took place. Without saying a word, one of the bridesmaids took off her own ring and brought it to the bride. And then the best man took off his own ring and gave it to the groom. And with borrowed rings, they completed their vows. With this ring, I thee wed. All that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. And whatever the future may hold, I will always love you and stand by you. This is my solemn vow. The rings didn't fit just right, but it didn't matter. Bride and groom still became husband and wife. Later the borrowed rings were returned and replaced with the real rings which had been left on a desk inside the house. But in that moment of crisis the bride and groom discovered the importance 
of a community of support. We all need it. It may be a lost ring or a lost loved one. It may be a mini crisis or a meltdown, but we need those folks around us who will stand beside us in the messes and the stresses of life. Those who will not point a finger, but instead will lend a hand. It was the Beatles that sang, I get by with a little help from my friends. In Proverbs we read, a friend loveth at all times. On their wedding day, this couple made vows of fidelity to each other and discovered that in love and life, we may need more than just our soulmate. We need family and friends, fellow sojourners who will travel with us and help us to stand even when we stumble. The rings were the wrong size, but the wedding, it was just right. That was Chris George, pastor of Smoke Rise Baptist Church in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Chris and his wife, Jen, are the parents of four curious kids that keep their lives filled with lots of adventures and little sleep. In 2021, Chris published Epiphany, Six Sermons for a Strange Season. You've been listening to Good Faith Stories from Good Faith Media. I'm Starlet Thomas. We at Good Faith Media know there's always more to tell. And everyone has a story. What's your story? We'd love to hear it and help you share it. Contact us at goodfaithmedia.org or get in touch directly with our producer, Cliff Vaughn. Email him at cliff at goodfaithmedia.org. Make sure you subscribe to Good Faith Stories to get our next episode as soon as it drops. And check out all of our podcast offerings and more at goodfaithmedia.org. And if you like what you heard, give us a good rating and tell your friends. Thanks for listening.